gas is flowing from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. I am one of your co-hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. With me, as always, is the Irresponsible Rob. Oh, I'm sorry. Did we start? I'm yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't even know I'd... Oh, see, because I'm irresponsible. I didn't even think <laughs> Folks, this is the official podcast for FirestormFan.com and AquamanShrine.com. Uh, normally, in this space, you'd probably be hearing us give our reviews of the latest issues of Aquaman and Firestorm number 9, which just hit your shelf last Wednesday. However... Due to holidays and real life and travel schedules and such, we're going to have to hold off on that just a little bit. Um, the issues are going to be fantastic. We're very excited about them. And uh, by this point, you've already read them. We haven't at the time of recording. But we will have those reviews out to you as soon as we can. You are blowing my mind, Jay. <laughs> time travel? <laughs> uh, I watch a lot of Doctor Who, so I'm able to keep my timeline straight. So. So for those of you in the future, us of us here in the past today have some really neat topic to talk about. Um, we are going to talk about the early days of Aquaman and Firestorm. <laughs> I guess I was supposed to talk. Okay, I was kind of thinking you might. <laughs> sort of back I'm irresponsible. What do, you, what do you want from me? It's supposed right. to be a conversational show. <laughs> oh, is that really? Oh, why should we start with that now? Um, no, yes. Uh, we're going to do the early days, which basically means we're going to talk about the very first stories of our individual characters. Um, now, of course, when we're talking about Aquaman, we're going all the way back into the 1940s, and when we're talking about Firestorm, we're, we're going back into the 70s. Um, but we, have, we had gotten a couple different requests um, over the last uh, couple of episodes to, to talk about some story arcs of these characters, and while this isn't quite that, it is sort of dipping back into the history and, and maybe covering some history that, that, that not everybody knows, especially since with the New 52 – you know these characters are sort of have been you know they've been shaking the uh, shaking the etch a sketch and started over, so uh, <laughs> this is, <laughs> to borrow a phrase in, in the current parlance. Um, 
Now, so, now folks, we are going to cover some favorite storylines. Don't don't worry about that. And these are actually, at least the Firestorm ones, are some of my favorites. It's just we felt like, uh, as he said, with the shaking of the Etch-A-Sketch, now would be a good time to touch on these original stories. Yeah, we thought it would be fun to go way, way back and, and see where these, these characters uh, started out. Uh, we're going to start off with Aquaman. And as I guess most of you, maybe some of you know, Aquaman first appeared in more fun comics Great title. Number 73, <laughs> cover dated November 1971. Uh, he was the creation of more... 1971, wow. I oh, 1941. That was the year <laughs> I was created, which is the most important year. Um, 1941, of course. He was a creation of Mort Weinzinger, who apparently was a real bastard. And... Um, Wow. <laughs> an artist. Put that out there. An art, an art, no, no, no. Uh, I think his family would agree with that. And uh, an artist, Paul Norris. Um, Mort Weisinger was really on a roll because in the very same issue of More Fun Comics number 73, he also created Green Arrow. So in, in, more, in this single issue, More Fun Comics number 73, you had Aquaman and Green Arrow debut, both characters who lasted – to this day, and are you know part of the major are, are major parts of the DC firmament. So he was really he was uh, really firing on all cylinders that month. More fun comics, like most comics were in, in the forties, were anthologies. You know where you had a bunch of stories of, of featuring different characters. And to that point, more fun comics had pretty much been the the, the main book for Doctor Fate, which is of course my Shag, Shag's favorite. Doctor Fate was the cover star of more fun comics. And he continued to be the cover star of more fun comics, even though Aquaman debuted. Aquaman would not get a cover on any comic book for, uh, what is it, the 18 years. So, <laughs> oh, Seriously? <laughs> yes. Yes. Aquaman did, not appear, Aquaman did not appear on a cover until Brave and the Bold number 28 in uh, 1960, uh, which is the debut of the Justice League. Yeah, he never got a cover uh, well, during his run in more fun comics or on adventure comics when he moved to that book. That's in, crazy. In the late 40s. Yeah, poor Aquaman. Um, Cry me a river. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, you really changed it up there. You were sympathetic and then you changed it on me. Um, I'm, ir- I'm irresponsible. Yeah, yeah. I'm irreliable. Irreli- there yeah, there we go. Um, anyway, the, we're not going to get into the detailed uh, plots of all these stories because kind of – especially with the more fun comics uh, adventures, they are sort of the same. Uh, they're basically, oh, what? I've got some specific things to say as we go through well, this. Well, yeah, no, I know. Oh, of course you do. I'm just saying that, <laughs> you know, basically if you've read a couple of the more fun stories, you kind of read them all for the most part. I mean, this first one is a, it is definitely an introduction story um, where, you know, the first time Aquaman shows up, I'm going to go through it a little bit. It says this, our story opens as a passenger ship is being sunk by a Nazi sub. Of course, this is 1941, so, you know, that's what's going on in the world. And uh, the Nazis, uh, not only do they fire on the passenger ship, they fire upon the lifeboats of the people trying to escape because they're Nazis. That's classy. Um, Yeah, well, you know, they were Nazis. So, um, but they are stopped by an an arm that pops up out of the water, a green, actually yellow-gloved, I was, I was about to say green-gloved because I'm looking at a reprint that DC did where they recolored the gloves from yellow to uh, green. But Aquaman's original gloves were yellow, which is sort of the um, sort of the, the, the demarcation point between the Earth-2 and the Earth-1 Aquaman. Anyway, Aquaman pops up out of the water. He rescues all the people in the lifeboats. 
he um, grabs the Nazi torpedo and, and pulls it out of the way, which is great. I just love, you know, uh, our hero grabbing the torpedo and, and forcing it in another direction. Um, that was one of the things that, that this early Aquaman was kind of like. He was like much more of like kind of a ballsy guy. <laughs> like he was much more of a dispenser of hard justice kind of thing. Um, anyway, he gets the refugees to safety. He jumps aboard the Nazi ship, starts knocking heads left and right. Um, the Nazi captain gets inside the uh, sub. He has it submerged. Aquaman then commands a school of porpoises to drag the refugee boat to land, which is, saves them. Um, the the passenger ship captain asks, who is this man of the sea? And Aquaman says, I reply, I, well, he asks, what land do you hail from? And Aquaman replies, I, I, I am from no land. My name is Aquaman. Very dramatic. And then we <laughs> find out his origin, which turns out to be very similar to the origin that was used later for the um, sort of Atlantis Aquaman where young, young Aquaman was basically a victim of his father's experiments about <laughs> how to live underwater. So uh, the, the father learned a way to extract oxygen from the water, and he sort of instilled that in his son and taught his son to, to live underwater. The captain offers a reward to Aquaman, which he turns down, of course. Of course. Of course. He heads back into the sea, gets the Nazis, uh, one of the Nazis drops a sledgehammer on his head, which is the first of many, many times where Aquaman would be <laughs> hit on the head. This is was, was it from behind? Uh, yeah, it's all, it's always from behind. Always, always from behind. That's his, it's more of a weakness than uh, being out of the water, folks. Yeah, he Aquaman, really. <laughs> Golden Age Aquaman being hit from behind, biggest weakness he's got. Yeah, he needed Spidey sense. Uh, the Nazis tie him up. They attach him to some weights and throw him into the ocean, which, you know, great idea. Um Aquaman can't quite break the chains himself, which is, you know, let's go past that. He commands his finny friends to help him. They help, they free him. He then goes back up to the Nazis, knocks them around. One of the Nazis throws a grenade at him. He catches it and throws it back, which is great, um, which explodes uh, the storehouse full of munitions that the boat is carrying, and it kills most of the Nazis. Um, Aquaman jumps back into the sea and he's ready for further adventures. The first issue and the first story ends with much to do. Yes. And Aquaman, sovereign of the sea, accept the challenge, accepts the challenge of evil from his lair in the deep. He rises to face new dangers and win new triumphs. Don't miss the new exploits of Aquaman coming soon in more fun comics. And that was, the, now, that was the first one. Um, that, okay. I, I have to admit something here, folks in getting ready for this episode. Uh, I read several uh, Aquaman comics uh, of these that we're going to talk about. Apparently, I didn't get number 73, Rob. So, I've read 74 on. Yes. So, I was very confused just now. And then, because I thought, the ironic thing is, I thought you were describing 74. No, that, yes. Because all you'd need to do is take the word Nazi out and replace it with pirate. Yes. And it's the exact same story and the exact same thing happens. Yes, it is. Yeah, these <laughs> stories are incredibly formulaic. Uh, in the beginning, I mean, even, uh, to the, even to the point where he's tied up and thrown to the bottom yes. of the ocean, and the fish have to free him. Yeah, no, none of these guys that ever fought Aquaman in the forties ever figured out that the guy who named Aquaman would not be the guy that you could kill by dumping into the water. <laughs> it's it's kind of sad. Ironically enough, uh, you know, like I said, Paul Norris is famous for being like the first Aquaman artist. He was only the Aquaman artist for like the first nine or ten issues. 
Mm. Um, he really didn't have that long of a run on the character. He was then replaced by another artist named Louis Casanova, who just somehow is just didn't turn out not to be that famous in terms of Aquaman lore. Um, most of them in their early ones were written by Mort Weinzinger, and like as Shag indicates, they are very formulaic. It's, it's Aquaman takes on either Nazis or pirates, sometimes Nazi pirates. Um, <laughs> or the same pirate over and over and over and over. Yeah, with Aquaman's second appearance, he was given ostensibly a supervillain named Blackjack, who is just pretty much what he sounds like. He's just a pirate. Um, and he's got the, the eye patch and the whole thing. And, and the, the funny thing about Blackjack is he's horribly inept. Um, yes. Because he keeps hiring these henchmen who are really even more inept than he is. And his plan is always like, well, let's tie Aquaman up and dump him in the water. And it never works. Um, so, you know, as much as I love these stories and I do, and I've been chronicling them every Sunday on the shrine, as, um, as we call it, um, Adventure Sundays, they are very formulaic, especially the early, the really early ones. Um, but one of the things I did like about the, the, the early Aquaman is that he really was like a, a real bruiser. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he, I mean, this was in the 40s, so this, World War II was raging. And, you know, the comics were a little more brutal back then. So, like, you know, there's one, there was one issue of, Aqu- of, of, of more fun comics where Aquaman fires a torpedo, a, a harpoon, um, at the crotch of a, of a bad guy. Now, it doesn't, it's not exactly his crotch, but it's below his stomach. So that's to me is your crotch. So, um, you know, this Aquaman really you know, didn't have a lot of time for, for, for niceties, uh, unlike the current touchy-feely, well, I guess I'd say the Silver Age touchy-feely. The, the new Aquaman yeah. is actually a little more of a head, of a, of a head, head breaker than, uh, than the Silver Age one. But, um, you know, but well, they're, they're fun stories, though. I would say that this Aquaman has no problem with allowing his enemies to die. He, I don't think he no. will... He doesn't try to kill them directly. Like, I don't think he will murder them himself. Even at one point in one of these issues, he's like, you know, someone suggested killing, you know, Blackjack. He's like, I don't operate that way. But if people are dying all around him, he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, he's pretty much okay with it. He's pretty much okay with it. Um, (laughs) um, The work of um, Paul Norris is pretty good. It wasn't always one of my favorites. Later on, he would... um, as I said, he was replaced by Louis Casanova. Later on in Adventure in Adventure Comics, he was replaced by a guy um, named John Daly, who was superb. John Daly's work was excellent, and he drew Aquaman for a long run in the late 40s and early 50s. And I thought he was superb. Um, really, really beautifully detailed artwork, and the colors were fantastic. So, you know, they started out, I would say the early Aquaman stories, Aquaman is not terribly different than anybody else. But they later evolved into, I would say, a little more unique. And I think that that would have, must have had something to do with why he lasted uh, much longer than a lot of his compatriots. Uh, well, you know. I, one of the things I've always found interesting to talk about, too, as far as regard to the origin, the, the creation, and the, how long he lasted is, and, and you and I have sort of joked about this before, but the fact is Aquaman was a bit of a response to Namor from Timely Comics. Yeah, absolutely. So Timely had Submariner the Prince Namor first. So this character was somewhat of a a ripoff, and and I'm not saying that to be mean, even though I typically am. Um, 
So this character was a bit of a ripoff in, in, in a response to that, but this character lasted much longer. I mean, Aquaman had an uninterrupted run up until, what, the 70s? Yeah, essentially. Aquaman, along with Green Arrow, is one of the only like five characters that's been continually published in some form for over 70 years. I mean, they've, right. you know, I mean, back during the 50s when all the other superheroes went away, Aquaman and Green Arrow still had their own strips in adventure comics. So, you know, they, I mean, I, I don't know how um, they knew back then what, what, uh, what features sold the book and what features didn't. I guess they had to just go by mail. I mean, how else would they know? Well, sales figures in mail, you know, because right. I mean, if they changed up the lead feature on Adventure Comics, but Green Arrow and Aquaman stayed consistent, and the comics still sold regardless of the lead feature, then maybe there's something to it, you know. And like you said, fan mail, things like that. Yeah, I mean, they clearly thought they, uh, as much as it pains me to say it, they clearly considered Green Arrow the bigger star because after Doctor Fate stopped getting covers on more fun comics, they gave them all to Green Arrow, and Green Arrow and Speedy just had a run of uninterrupted covers on more fun comics all the way until the near the end of the book where they changed it up to an all-humor format. So, yeah, I got I to gotta say, like, the Dr. Fate cover, because when I was looking at these, the Dr. Fate covers, by the way, it pained me. It pained me to see these Dr. Fate covers not being able to read those stories. It was it really hurt. They're gorgeous. They look, they're absolutely they're great. gorgeous. The Dr. Fate covers look great, yep. whereas the Green Arrow covers just look so static. They look really flat to me. I, and maybe I'm just being biased i don't know but like well the art itself is fine it just it, i didn't feel like it was a very the green arrow covers are very actiony yeah i mean i think they were limited a little bit by you know his his shtick you know i mean it was but, like but arrow but arrows move i mean there's, yeah. there's movement in it just seems like it could have been more exciting i don't know yeah i, I agree with that um so. I, the dr fate ones i think the dr fate ones were a little more postery in terms of they mm-hmm. weren't literally reflecting the story so yeah. they could be a little more fanciful, and I think that helped with, with mm-hmm. some of them. So, yeah, I mean, they are really, you know, really – I mean, the first star of Morphine Comics was the Spectre, and then uh, yeah, another one of your favorites. And then uh, then they sort of handed it over to Dr. Fate, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they are they are beautiful. Morphine Comics was a great book. I mean, it had a lot of really interesting features. I mean, in a lot of ways, Morphine Comics was sort of like the B-list DC book. Because, you know, their features were the Spectre, Dr. Fate, Green Arrow, Aquaman. There wasn't any big ticket guys like you had in, in Action Comics or Detective Comics or even Sensation Comics, which was wonderful. Wasn't, wasn't Johnny Quick in there, too, for a Johnny while? Quick was in there. Yeah, it was a lot of kind of, you know, frankly, B, B-list guys. I hate to call Aquaman that, but let's, you know, let's, let's admit it. Let's be um, honest. be honest, it was. Um, but anyway, uh, we're getting off the topic a little bit. Um, Aquaman's run continued in more fun comics from 76 all the way through 10. He appeared in every single issue from 76 all the way through 107. And then around that time... Would, would, wouldn't it be issue 73? Yes, yeah, 73. I'm sorry. 73 all the way through... <laughs> what, what, what website do you run? I, <laughs> I'm looking at this Dr. Fate cover, which is, threw me off. It's um, distracting you. It is distracting me. He ran all in every issue from number 73 through 107. And then at that point, more fun comics uh, got converted to an all-humor format, um, which was, was happening to a lot of comics back then as superheroes were sort of waning in popularity. And DC then moved... All of their features in more fun comics, which at that point had uh, – uh, it was Aquaman, Johnny Quick, 
uh, Superboy. Superboy was the big star because by then Superboy had been invented. And Green Arrow. And they moved them all over to Adventure Comics. Now, I don't, you know, why you just, you know, why you move the entire contents of one title to another title instead of just leaving the other title by itself. And you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why, what the point of that was. Um, but they moved them all over to Adventure Comics. And then they basically stayed, all those characters stayed in Adventure Comics throughout the entire 1950s. So obviously Adventure Comics was pretty stable with that list of heroes. I mean, obviously having Superboy as your lead feature helped because it's you know, Superman, essentially. Well, um, I wanted to talk real quick about just some of the other aspects of Aquaman's appearance back then. Like, you mentioned the yellow gloves, but there's some other stuff, too, going on. Like, he's got a black – he's got this kind of black, shiny belt. Yep. Um, which I think is – it's really big. It's a big belt, and it's uh, it just kind of stands out. His trunks are green, and for those of you who were Aquaman fans of the 70s, you know his trunks are always black at that point. But they started off green. I always thought they just started off black and stayed that way till later. But clearly somewhere in the, I guess, the 60s, the trunks became black, and then the black went away again somewhere. I, one of the things I liked about Paul Norris's faces, like Aquaman's face, it looked sort of Max Fleischer-like. I mean, he, Oh, yeah, he, he's got that squint. Yep, he's got the squint, the hair's got sort of the ripples. I mean, he just, he looked great. He just looked so cool. So, and then uh, the other thing worth noticing is, is the fins. You know, Aquaman's always had fins like on the back of his calves, we all know. Well, here, when he was originally invented, the fins were at the bottom of his feet. So they were on his, his ankle, and they were yellow. Yeah, yep. So that was interesting. It's like I, I've always, you know, I, I, Aquaman wears green tights, and the fins are covered. Um, and, and with his tights here, it looks like the fins are actually supposed to be yellow and sticking out of his clothes, maybe, or maybe they're part of his costume. I'm not sure. I think that yeah, I think they're part of his costume. Um, but yeah, there there are the. I mean, his gloves and his gloves are much more um, like exaggerated and sort of flayed out, which is ironically how he looks now. Yeah, he's, he's got the sort of going back same thing. Yeah, I mean, the things I do like about this Aquaman is that he said he is definitely much more of a headbreaker um, in terms of dispensing. Justice, and he's all kind of cheery about it. In um, at the end of uh, the story in More Fun Comics number seventy-eight, which is an untitled story, it was just called Aquaman. After he dispenses the villains, his, his final panel—it's uh, him swimming away—and he goes, "Help to the deserving, punishment to the wicked. What next?" And that's the end <laughs> of the story. You know, and it's, he had a lot of those. He ended a lot of those stories with those kinds of like, "Okay, now what? Had you know, who am I gonna?" Whose ass am I going to kick next? And uh, I, I really did enjoy that because, you know, it, it's, you know, taking on Nazis is pretty serious business, you know? Well, and right before you'd always have that line, as you said, someone would offer him uh, either a ride back to land or offer him some sort of position of power to be their leader. Like almost every issue. Yes. Very, you know, and that's when he would, he'd say, no, my, you know, I belong to the sea. And then he'd use that line or something like you just said. So that just cracks me up. Yeah. Every time. Um, <laughs> You know, the same issue, the 78 you mentioned, uh, that Sarg- that's the Sargasso Sea issue. I, I really actually, that, it was goofy as it was, I kind of like certain things about that one. But uh, he, uh, he, in, in the splash page, he, hold, he had a giant shell as a shield. Yeah. And I thought, I don't think I've ever seen Aquaman carry a shield before, but that looks so cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he was much more, they, they, they were much less afraid of um, letting him use the, his finny friends as his kind of... Like he, there's there's the famous. I don't. I maybe I'm I'm bastardizing the word famous, but um, there's a more fun story where the splash page is Aquaman literally throwing a polar bear at a <laughs> bunch famous. of Nazis. Um, <laughs> that, that that is like to people who only barely know Aquaman. People, I have gotten more 
email about that story where people say, I saw this image of Aquaman throwing a polar bear. What story is that one from? People just love that one. <laughs> By the way, that is from More Fun Comics number 85. The story is The Unhappy Hunting Grounds. And it opens with, with Aquaman literally throwing a polar bear at a bunch of seal hunters. That's um, awesome. Which I love. I love the fact that because these, these are guys are just murdering these seals. And Aquaman, of course, has no time for people murdering his finny friends. So he tosses a polar bear at them. But murdering polar bears is fine. Well, he doesn't murder <laughs> the polar bear. The polar bear is fine. The polar bear <laughs> knocks into them and gets walks away. So he's fine. So, you know. Now, I can't go without mentioning uh, a particular story in here that does nothing to help Aquaman's reputation. Um <laughs> It, it just it stood out. I'm sorry. I just have to. I, issue seven, more fun. Seventy five is uh, the re, first reappearance of Blackjack. Yes. And After number seventy four. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I just say first because there's a lot of them. <laughs> he just keeps. Well, no, but back. I mean, it's like his reappearance. He came back literally the next month. <laughs> but I like too. They used to promise in the next issue box, you know, like Blackjack returns. The next issue it wouldn't be Blackjack, and then you know. It's, I gotta know. Has Blackjack come back in like modern age? No, no. He he stopped appearing in the late. I think in the very early fifties, and that was it. I'm shocked that no one has ever used him as like a one-off. You know, Jeff Johns, get on it. That shocks me. Anyway, um, so there's this thing in '75 where there's this underwater diver who gets hurt, and Aquaman has to save him. Yeah, and he takes and he takes the diver back to his undersea temple, and there <laughs> and there are three or four panels. That I swear, Rob, I'm sorry, but they look like they are straight out of a 1950s gay romance comic. I know, because there's one where he is trying to – where Aquaman is trying to revive this guy, and he's doing it by laying on the guy, straddling the guy, uh, and massaging his back, essentially. It's it's not good. And it's and it's lit by and candle. Oh, it, yeah, in the foreground, there's a, there's a burning candle, it's too. It's very gothic it's, and romantic, yeah. And the guy and, is shirtless, so that's another part <laughs> And in the next panel, Aquaman's got his arms around him. It looks like literally they're about to embrace. Yeah, you're safe, and my the, friend. My name's Aquaman. What's yours? Right. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the final panel is Aquaman's in the background, sort of like walking towards the guy. And the guy's he's he's doing the typical one where like a woman's distressed and she looks away from yeah. the man she loves. <laughs> I mean, it looks. I read these. I'm like, oh man, maybe maybe his reputation started as early as the 40s. I don't know. It was the days before <laughs> irony. You know, they just didn't. They didn't worry about that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a bunch of stories where women are always making the move on Aquaman, and he doesn't yeah. have any time for it. He's always, yeah, but, you know. But all heroes were like that back then. Well, I don't know. Lois Lane. He had, Superman had Lois Lane. But I don't think he had, I, don't, I still don't think he had time for her. Yeah, but he? he was clearly like her, yeah, but she was clearly like the romantic interest. Here, Aquaman is just like, no, 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 you know, so. Well. You know, I, one of the early traits of, of Aquaman, um, like, was his, you know, one of the things I always liked about the character was his humanity towards his Finny friends. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that they retained, you know, through every version of Aquaman. In, let's say, for instance, More Fun Comics number 105, which is Be Kind to Whales Week, written, yes. by, <laughs> written by Joe Samoxon and drawn by Louis Kazanov. Um, Aquaman takes on some whale hunters. And there's a great sequence where these these whales are being kind of jerks and like he's trying to save them but they're attacking Aquaman as well because they're just kind of dumb whales and there's this one whale has this giant razor sharp teeth and he's trying to snap at Aquaman and Aquaman says my what a job a dentist would have with you sorry sorry old boy but I'm not making any appointments with your stomach and he's just you know like he's not and he, you know and he grabs the whale by the tail and just sort of tosses him aside saving his life 
but sort of just being like, okay, you know, you're just being a whale, and I'm not going to take it personally. I know you're trying to bite me. It's fine. It's still going <laughs> to save your life. I, 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 there's, now, there's, there's a, I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I got to say, I think maybe that started a little bit after his first couple of appearances. Because in 75, he straight up stabs a shark in the heart. He does. Yeah. They, they definitely, um, I think, mollified that a little bit as, as time went on. They realized, well, he's, he's supposed to be Aquaman. He probably wouldn't be <laughs> not quite so capricious about killing some <laughs> animal life. But, yeah, but they, you know, they, they, he, you know, the, there wasn't any character development in these stories. I mean, they really are just single installments. They're basically like the comics version of procedurals, you know, like everybody just <laughs> starts over. Um, but, you know, as Aquaman wore on, I'm sure some level of character development had to sink in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they made him a little more, you know, a little more, a little kinder to his, to his finny friends, as I said. And um, as, as the world, as world war two ended, he became a little less of a, of a kind of a brutal guy. I mean, it's a lot of these early more fun stories where he's like, Taking Nazis, and there's one where he grabs a guy and smashes his face into a metal cannon, which mm. just looks like it would just crack every one of your teeth out of its head. You know, so it's just like, oh my god. Um, so they, you know, they definitely made him a little, a little kinder and a little gentler as as the late '40s and the '50s wore on. As I'm sure was probably influenced from, you know, the comics, the the incipient comics code and Doctor Wortham, and you know, tried to make comics yeah. a little less, you know. A little less objectionable to, to parents. Well, we saw that with Superman and Batman, too. I mean, they started off pretty hardcore. Right. By the way, you mentioned the Nazis. i got to read this. I actually wrote this down. It just cracked me up so much. My favorite dialogue in all the issues I read here is he's, he's battling a Nazi. Uh, or he, I'm sorry, he's arguing with a Nazi. The Nazi goes, you dare bandy words with me, you Yankee pig? This is Okay, that's my bad German accent. This is your payment, slap. Aquaman gives him an uppercut and goes, and this is your change. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and now that this has come to trading wallops, we'll operate on the barter system, yeah. giving you good measure. Blah. He had a lot. Of, yeah, he, he's, he was, was uh, awesome. he was full of retorts. He really was Aquaman. Oh. Um, I guess the, the, the one sort of final thing I wanted to mention just about this is about these stories are, unfortunately, um, these more fun stories have never been reprinted uh, anywhere. The only two that have ever been dusted off anywhere with the first one, Morphunt number 73, which was reprinted in um, a book called Secret Origins, which mm-hmm. was from the 70s, actually the early version of Secret Origins where DC reprinted the, um, you know, the Secret Origins stories of their, their heroes. And then when DC was doing their Millennium Editions, where they were reprinting some of their more famous comics, they reprinted number Morphunt number 73, and then they reprinted later Morphunt number 101, which is the first Superboy which is why they mm. were reprinting it. Aquaman just sort of got carried along for the ride there. Um, mm. But those are the only two more fun stories that have ever been reprinted anywhere. Even when Aquaman reprint editions have been published, which is like the archive edition, they started with the adventure comics run by Ramona Fraden. And the showcase books start with the adventure comic stories by, by drawn by Ramona Fraden. DC has never so, seen fit to reprint yes. any of these stories. And, um, Totally true. Uh, yeah, and the one little PS I'll, I'll add to this is because it's I guess it's relevant is um, I got a couple of years ago I got an email from uh, the physicist Dr. James Kakalius who writes those Physics of Superheroes books, and when he was writing the second edition of his Physics the Physics of Superheroes book, he wanted to do a chapter on Aquaman. Oh wow! And, and yeah, and he wanted the page featuring Aquaman tossing the polar bear. 
<laughs> and um, I had to tell him that basically that's unavailable in any sort of high res, you know, form. At the time, it was. I I have since found it um, in the in the some of the more darker, shadier corners of the internet. But at the, at the, at the time, that story was pretty much unavailable. So I substitute. I gave him. Um, uh, I, I gave him some suggestions as to uh, what other stories you could use for that book, which he which he ended up using. And the shrine gets mentioned in his book is one of the more proudest things about the about that. Alchemist Shrine got mentioned in the the physics superheroes book. Um, I remember that because he contacted me too. Because he was either trying to get in touch with you or he was trying. Because I had run the image one time too over on Once right. Upon a Geek. Yep. I remember that now. Yes. You know, those more fun stories are, are like, sort of impossible to find. But if you go to the Aquaman Shrine and you click go to the sidebar, um, you click on the logo for More Fun Comics and you will see a listing and a review of every single issue of More Fun Comics that Aquaman appeared in. And the one-off appearance he had in World's Finest Comics in like 1942. Oh. Um, I don't know why he's in there, but he is. There was like just this one-off appearance of Aquaman by Mort Weinzinger and Paul Norris. In was it like a little eight-page adventure? Or? Yeah, well, it was, it, was, oh. it was pretty much like the same story you would have seen in more fun comics, except just a different a different adventure. I don't know why they had like an extra one or something. What was the first time Aquaman ever ran into another pre-existing superhero? He never did. Never. Just um, Justice League? No, well, in the, in the 50s in adventure comics, he crossed over with Green Arrow. Okay. Uh, but that was until like 1955 or something. But basically the Golden Age Aquaman never ran into any... Um, superhero. The only, the closest thing he ever got is in one issue. I wish I could sort of had it in front of me, but he mentions Batman hmm. in one panel where he swings on a rope and kicks a bad guy, and he goes, "What does Batman got that? What does Batman have that I don't?" Or something like that. That's the only. Gotcha. That's the only time they ever even acknowledge that there are other superheroes in this universe. And even then, that's you know. You could argue maybe he was talking about reading Batman comics or something. Yeah, could be anything. Right, um, right. For some reason, Aquaman was not deemed worthy enough to be included in any team um, because you know had, you had the Justice Society, which mm-hmm. was sort of like definitely the marquee characters plus Hour Man. And um, oh, <laughs> that was me. I guess we won't be doing a fire and sands of time podcast anytime soon. Because Rex Tyler hate Rick, mail coming yeah. your way. Buddy. Um, he's a superhero, he's a drug addict. Please, so. Um, <laughs> Pharmacist. Pharmacist. So, so you had, you know, basically the big ticket heroes in the Justice Society, and then you kind of had the B level guys in uh, leading comics, which was the Seven Soldiers of Victory, and right. that, that was Green Arrow, Shining Knight, the Crimson Avenger, St- um, Stripesy, and the Star Spangled Kid. For some reason, Aquaman was not deemed. Aquaman would have fit in perfectly with the Seven Soldiers of Victory. He would so have been true. perfectly, and, but for some reason, he is just completely like his own thing which of course Roy Thomas kind of used later on in, in All-Star Squadron for being the reason why he's not even part of the All-Star Squadron which was just Aquaman is just totally like a rogue guy mostly at sea keeping to himself so well it became a running gag yeah in All-Star yeah. Squadron and then he shows up in the very last issue of All-Star Squadron yeah, before, it, just in time before to, Christ wipes yeah. it all out <laughs> he shows up just in time to be immolated uh, <laughs> out of continuity so thanks Aquaman um but anyway, the, the, the more fun stories and the adventure comic stories are a lot of fun, especially, like I said later on, when John Daly takes over as artist. I think his work is superb. That is a guy who I wish there was more information on because he is way underrated. Um, in terms, of, And then after John Daly, uh, it was Ramona Fraden who, you know, Ramona Fraden, one of the greatest comic artists who ever lived and certainly one of, like, you know, the two or three best Aquaman artists 
that ever existed. And that's where we are right now on Adventure Sundays is we're currently in the early 50s with Ramona Fraden stories. Cool. Um, so I would if – you're, if you're a fan of – you can sort of like – you know, I don't want to use the word tolerate because that's that's probably not the right term. But if you have an appreciation for kind of the old school, very old school comic book storytelling, um, I would say come visit the shrine and click around on the links for the more fun comics and adventure comics and and enjoy these stories. They are uh, they are really a lot of fun. So. Yeah, you just got to come at it from a different mental perspective. Like when I was say twenty two, twenty three, I had a hard time reading Golden Age comics. Um, yeah, even too. now, they're not. Even now, they're not necessarily my favorite, but I will tell you, out of Golden Age comics I've read, I'd say these Aquaman ones are a little more engaging than some other ones. Uh, I think they're I think they're fine. And um, if you come at it from the right perspective of just understanding this is what comics was back then, and this was fun entertainment for kids, I think, you, yeah, I think anybody could enjoy it. Yeah, I said obviously kids really appreciate it because Aquaman managed to last. You know, a lot, lot you know, Green Flash and Green Lantern and Hawkman did not last, and Aquaman did. So that's that's pretty amazing considering how big of a star. Flash and Green Lantern were back then. So yeah, and and also with these, they're only like eight pages. So whereas some other Golden Age comics that were longer, they had to, a lot of filler. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. These Aquaman stories go down. They're easy. tight. Yeah, they're like candy. You know, I mean, they, <laughs> before you could, and when when they when they move on to to later, I mean, the early stories were like nine or eight or nine pages. The, the ones after that are even shorter. Some are like six pages. So I mean, oh wow, you're, they're just like boom, 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 done. I'm, I'm off to you know, off for more adventure. You know, so it's like, <laughs> they're like they're like Aquaman, stay and be our leader. No, no, no. yeah, they're they're like <laughs> there's two panels right there. Yeah, exactly. They're cartoon shorts. They just they're over for you now. And so anyway, um, they, they're a lot of fun, and we we uh, we encourage you to, to check them out. So it was it was kind of neat for me because I was reading these seventy year old comics on my Nook. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> it was just such a weird experience. The you know? future. We're going to move on. So we're going to jump, of course, uh, a couple of decades ahead. Into 35 the years into the future. Yes, the 1970s. Or 35 years into the past from today. Ooh. Dead square in the middle. Oh, my. Um, I, I didn't realize that. Uh, Firestorm is uh, right, ne- right now. He is half the age of Aquaman. <laughs> A little math fun for you kids at home on your way to math camp for the summer. Okay. Wow. Uh, Firestorm, <laughs> the nuclear man, uh, came out in December of 1977. It's covered dated 78 because of the way comics work, but he came out December uh, 5th or 6th. It's a little Facts are a little blurry on that. But it was uh, 1977, and um, the first issue came. There, there were some house ads leading up to it, so folks knew it was coming. And it was part of this DC explosion where there were a lot of new books out there. And those of you who know your history or listen to last issue of the Fire and Water podcast where last, Jerry Conway Last talked. issue of the Fire and last Water Last episode podcast? of the Fire and Water podcast where Jerry Conway talked about the DC implosion. Uh, you know that it was a short-lived time. So what we're going to cover today is we're going to talk a little bit about Firestorm the Nuclear Man number one through five. Um, which was his run. Till got, and then it got canceled. I mean, you talked about Paul Norris having a short run on Aquaman. And being known, well, Al Milgram had an even shorter run on Firestorm, really. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but you know, incredibly influential for the rest of the Firestorm's history. And then I think, Rob, I, I, we're going to touch on issue, the unpublished number six. Is that right? Yeah, I, read, I went and, and, and dug that up uh, in anticipation of this episode because I wanted to, I knew that there was an unpublished six issue and I wanted to read it. So yeah. uh, I've read that one as well. Cool. Now, the, the nice thing about this, whereas Aquaman, the more fun comics have not been reprinted, these have, and very recently. So for the first time, I guess it was last year, they, they collected these in a trade. It's just called Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Um, and I've probably missaid that three times already on this show. Uh, nu- nuclear. Nuclear? Nuclear. 
Am I getting it right? Yeah, nuclear. Fantastic. Okay. Um, anyway, you can, you can get it through your local comic shop. They might still have it on the shelf. If not, they can certainly order it for you because it is, a, as I understand, it is still available. Yeah, it's cur- it's still currently in print. Yep. So it's good stuff, good stuff. So we'll jump right in. The first issue uh, is called Make Way for Firestorm. Now, I'm not going to go page by page or anything here, but the general gist of it is that, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to tell this first issue because if you're listening to the show, you know at least the basic origin of Firestorm. So I'll kind of jump around. I mean, the gist of it is Ronnie Raymond is a teenager who's just moved into town, and he wants to impress this girl named Doreen Day. By the way, please na- take note of the alliteration. Ronnie, Raymond, Doreen, Day, Cliff, Carmichael. It's, it's everywhere. Before, um, but you know, before you go ahead, I just wanted to, before I forget this, you know, like, I know that part of the shtick of, like, Firestorm, that it was supposed to read a little bit like a Marvel comic. Yes. A DC, you know, a DC version of a Marvel comic. And mm-hmm. right there with the alliterate, not, not that DC didn't do alliteration, but Stan Lee made, like, made it into an art and, you know, so right there, you've got Ronnie Raymond, Doris Day, you know, Doris Day, uh, Doreen Day, <laughs> right. Doreen Day, and Cliff Carver. That, you know, that reads like a 1965 Marvel comic. Oh, yeah. Jerry Conway was very purposeful. I mean, everything in this thing he was, was done very intentionally. Yeah. Uh, and, and, again, last episode, and I don't want to belabor it, if you did listen to it, uh, if you didn't, you should go back and listen to the last episode, the interview with Jerry Conway, just because it's, even if you're not a fire, even if you're not a matchhead, if you're more of a waterlog, it's still an interesting. That is still not uh, approved, that name, by the way. Uh, when we get to the, to the listener feedback, you might see something different there. Anyway, no, um, <laughs> anyway, if you go back and listen to the Jerry Conway interview, I mean, it, it's just if, even if you don't like Firestorm, it's still an interesting interview about the creative process of comic books and that that, that era. But um, he does talk a lot about how Firestorm was supposed to be a Marvel character in the DC universe. It's very much a Spider-Man sort of analog, except if Flash Thompson had been bitten by the radioactive spider rather than Peter Parker, that kind of concept. So the, the the gist is Ronnie Raymond wants to impress this girl named Doreen Day. So he joins this gang of people that are supposedly protesting uh, a nuclear power plant that's being developed, a brand new one's about to open. And turns out that this gang is actually a bunch of hoodlums, and they break into the power plant and are setting bombs to blow it up. Well, the man in charge of the power plant, and again, I am shortcutting this simply because you guys probably know this story. The man in charge of this new automated power plant is Professor Martin Stein. He sees this trouble. He goes down there and, you know, essentially he's like, you know, quit this ruckus. Get out of here. And they punch him and knock him out. And meanwhile, they knock out Ronnie, too. So they leave Ronnie and the professor up against the explosives on the nuclear pile, and it detonates. And they are transformed into Firestorm, the nuclear man. And they absorb all the radiation. They build a costume, and they go off and beat up the terrorists from blowing up another plant. That's the gist of it. There's a lot of other stuff I want to talk about in it, but that's kind of your overall plot. Most surprisingly, you've got this incredibly colorful Spider-Man sort of-esque crack and wisecracks and, you know, really enjoying and loving his power superhero. And yet throughout the first issue, there is no supervillains in this comic. No, just a guy with really horrendous mutton chops. Mutton chops and crazy permed hair. I mean, he is such the 70s, you know, uh, funky hoodlum. It's hilarious. Um, I don't know if you noticed the organization. Did you notice the name of the organization that they're the, this anti protest, this protesting nuclear power group is? No, what was it? The, the Coalition to Resist Atomic Power. The acronym for that, not mentioned in here, would be CRAP. <laughs> Jerry mentioned I never noticed Social commentary. Mentioned. Right. I, n- I never noticed until Jerry mentioned it to me. I'm like, oh, my God, that's hysterical. <laughs> so, you know, um, 
because one of the hallmarks of Professor Stein's power plant was that it was supposed to be one of the safest power plants ever built. It was fully automated, fail-safe. You know, it was all this impressive safety involved. So the only reason there was ever a problem was there was uh, a set of explosives there. That's what caused the problems. There was nothing wrong with Professor Stein's design. So uh, I do like that the very first time we see Professor Stein, he's got a big old honking pipe in his mouth. I mean, he looks like a. Do you remember the Church of the Sub Genius back in the nineties? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks very Church of the Sub Genius with you know <laughs> his his hair slicked back and the pipe and all that. It looks great. <laughs> Superman even makes a, a an appearance in the first issue, uh, in the form of uh, Clark Kent. <laughs> Clark Kent's actually interviewing this this that seventies guy we talked about oh, that's it. for for WGBS. Yeah, and Superman of course appears in a in a in an issue of this early yes. series. He appears in the next issue, in fact. You're absolutely oh, right. the next issue. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things embedded in this story that, have done, that are done really quite well. I mean, you, you really get a sense right off the bat for who Ronnie is, that he's the jock who's not stupid. He actually knows some school stuff, but he just can't get a break. Uh, he's got this guy in school named Cliff Carmichael who is a total douche. I mean, he's <laughs> – I'm sorry. He is. He is. Yeah, he is. He's a jerk. I mean, he's because it's all about they're fighting over a girl. Ronnie and Cliff are both interested in this girl named Doreen Day, who, by the way, as time goes by, becomes one of the characters I hate more than any other in all of Firestorm history. Um, she's oh, she's horrible. Uh, she's great here. She's this cute, blonde, 70s-looking girl, and she's very sweet throughout the early issues. It's just later on that I just despise her. So, um, <laughs> Anyway, so Ronnie's trying so hard. You know, he, he wants to be liked by the teachers. He's trying to do good with sports, and, and he's not cocky or anything. And uh, but Cliff just keeps rubbing him into the ground and making him feel terrible, and so that that becomes a recurring storyline of of how Ronnie just sort of like Peter Parker can't get a break, and that will continue throughout of all Firestorm's run. It is clearly established right here in the beginning, and you feel for him, and especially if you were a kid reading this comic, you know, because that's such a tough age anyway. You always feel like if someone's out to get you, and uh, you would Im- immediately relate with it. And then there's uh, Ronnie's principal. You get the sense right at the beginning too. Ronnie's principal is keeping an eye on him. There's some there's some sub uh, plot being built there. Sort of your C plot is floating around there around the principal, and the B plot is Martin Stein's assistant, who is this sniveling little guy who's even got you know he's just he, does he does he have the mustache at this point? I don't remember. He he ends up at one point with the with the snivelly little uh, bad guy mustache too. Yeah, he does. No, he does have one. Yeah, and he's got kind of a mo haircut. Oddly enough, <laughs> he does. It's true. So uh, a lot Dalton- of very strange hairstyles in these early issues. That's eh, the '70s. Life was different back then. It was, it was, it was an awkward time. Was the anyway. mo haircut a big thing in the '70s? Hush you. There's a Wolfman <laughs> haircut in here. Well, yeah. Well, that was big hair. Oh, all right, whatever. Right. We're getting off. We're getting right. off topic. Dalton Black gets zapped in the same power uh, nuclear, nuclear power explosion that uh, Firestorm gets caught in. So he's glowing with radiation. So there's your B plot just waiting to happen. Um. Hey, the last thing I guess I want to say about the issue is just Al Milgram's art is great. He has really got a sense for perspective. He's got a sense for adventure. I mean, every page is high adventure whenever Firestorm's on the screen. It's very exciting, very dynamic. There's this neat shot above the Statue of Liberty. It's a really interesting perspective shot. That's an amazing page. I think yeah. that's an, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. Like, I've never been a huge fan of Al Milgram's work. Um, like, just I just don't. Just find out all that appealing. His storytelling is excellent. 
his storytelling, especially the first the first three pages of Firestorm number one, the, mm-hmm. first, the first one where Firestorm is above, you know, just flying through New York City, and yep. then the double page. Mm-hmm. That is as good as anything I've seen. You know, to me, I'm like that is like Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, level <laughs> level storytelling. Right. I just I don't think like the actual rendering of like the figures and everything else, or you know, is like my cup of tea. But the storytelling is is superb. Like I, yeah. I was, I had not read Firestorm number one in like a long time. So when I dug out dug it out again to read it for this podcast, I was like, wow. You know, I was like, this looks. Great, you know, I was really, really impressed. Cool, I'm glad you like it. I, I love it. I think, he, I mean, we talked about DC didn't have a house style, but Marvel did. Well, this is this is really in the Marvel style. Yeah, this is like a. It yeah. really is a Marvel book with a DC yep. bullet on it. So, and, and even the cover. I mean, Al used to do a lot of inking over Jack Kirby stuff. So when Al did this cover, I mean, it's heavily influenced by Kirby. Even the fingers are squared off. Yep, yep. I mean, it's, <laughs> um, all right, you know what? Uh, we're going to move on. Now I'm just going to kind of breeze through these other issues just to kind of give you a little – I'll give you a quick synopsis and then just mention some highlights. Number two was actually the very first old, old, old Firestorm comic I owned. And I read this thing until it was about falling apart. I loved it so the much. The cover is fantastic. I know, it's got Superman standing there all, like, disappointing and disapproving. Well, you got Multiplex beating the crap out of Firestorm. You're the Man of Steel. Help me tackle Multiplex, the duplicate villain. Sorry, kid. You're on your own. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which would be a great installment in that Super Dickery blog. That oh, exists. certainly would. I don't know if it's ever been on there, but this is a this is a great one. And Superman totally was, should. Superman was definitely, like, the hall monitor of the DC <laughs> universe. Like, he was – every time there was a new hero, it was his job to show up. Oh, yeah. Like sort of make sure the kid was okay or whatever. It was, he, you know, that, that that was clearly he took that responsibility upon himself. Well, in the Bronze Age, Superman always showed up for the new any new villain, and then in the quote unquote modern age, which is the eighties, Batman always showed up. Right. Well, so sales. it's kind of how works. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So the gist of this story is that uh, Multiplex, who was is Dalton Black, the assistant from last issue's B plot, he is trying to drain the atomic energy pile from the Hudson nuclear power. Power plant, which is Professor Stein's power plant. So Firestorm, with a little help from Superman, stops him. I mean, that's your overall plot. Um, it's a great adventure issue. You, you get some recaps of Firestorm's powers. The, the biggest, like, sort of dickery move in this issue that I find <laughs> is not Superman. It's Ronnie. Um, right off the bat, you find out that when when Firestorm mer- visions when they split apart, Professor Stein doesn't remember being Firestorm. He's just like, "What happened? Why did I black out?" He doesn't know. And Ronnie doesn't freaking tell him. <laughs> so throughout all these issues that we're, we're talking about today, Ronnie never tells the professor he's Firestorm. <laughs> it's because it's his sub – Professor Science subconscious is the one that's involved with Firestorm. <sighs> so I mean like, wow, Professor Stein becomes an alcohol – starts becoming an alcoholic by the end of the story and Ronnie still doesn't tell him. <laughs> it's horrible. Maybe um, Cliff Cork Michael was right. Yeah, could be. Yeah, Cliff may have been been the real hero. We should all praise the the new thinker. Um, there's a lot of stuff set up in here. Again, sort of the Peter Parker formula, where the dad is really disapproving of Firestorm. Yeah, yeah. And he's also disapproving a lot of Ronnie's behavior. You know, it's very much an Aunt May sort of scenario. Um, there's some neat Corsican brothers kind of stuff in here, where the professor gets hurt and Ronnie feels it. And that they don't do that that often in Firestorm. Even you know, they, every once in a while they would do it throughout the years. But I kind of liked it early on, and I thought I think that would have been a neat plot if they sort of continued that. Yeah, I never remembered any of that from like the Firestorm comics in the '80s. Like that just was not something I ever remembered happening. 
And, and one more thing I want to mention about this issue is the art on this one I feel is stronger than the first one in that – Different um, anchors. Exactly. It's Bob McCloud. Who, yeah, the first one was Klaus Janssen mm-hmm. inking Al Milgram, and then you've got Bob McCloud on, on the subsequent issues. And I think Bob McCloud is one of the greatest inkers of all time. I just love him. I think he's a great inker. Yes. And yes. He's, he's a strong – he sometimes overpowers a little bit, but that's okay because he's that good. My so. uh, my my partner in Ace Kilroy, Dan O'Connor, worked as Bob McCloud's assistant for many years. Oh wow! That's why so. Dan is probably as good as he is, partly. And yeah, um, probably. One thing I wanted to mention, I I did want to mention about this issue, just as a sort of a, 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 a ancillary thing here. Um, there is an ad uh, for uh, Hostess cupcakes, <laughs> and it's ad featuring Superman. Now, one of the rules that Hostess or DC had, I think it was Hostess had, was that. Because, um, I mean, everybody remembers that the Hostess ads, you know, featured one hero, you know, pit, shilling for Twinkies or cupcakes or whatever. The The rule was you could not – the hero in the ad could not be the star of the comic book. Oh, I see. They, so, so you know, you couldn't have a Batman Hostess ad and a Batman comic book. I guess they just thought maybe that was confusing and it was – mm-hmm. now, they've got Superman here. But Superman has a big chunk to do in this issue. So it kind of reads uh... funny. So if you read page nine and you've got Superman flying around and then the next page is him saving people from a falling elevator and giving them cupcakes at the end, you're like, wait, is this – okay, what, what part of Firestorm is this? Like, well, that happened on his way to help Firestorm. Okay. Yes. Exactly. But, I mean, you could see that, like, the, the rule obviously fell through the cracks when it came to guest stars. You know, right, I mean, right, like, totally. well, we can we can put any hostess ad in the Firestorm book because it's Firestorm. Firestorm is not appearing in any hostess ads. But then it's like, oops, we forgot that Firestorm Superman's in this comic. As well. <laughs> so, and then that's why you had such a set of like, sort of third-tier characters as Red Tornado getting their own hostess ads. Right. But no Firestorm hostess ads. No ad, Firestorm like hostess ads. So... so Last comment on issue number two. I love Multiplex's helmet. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you've told me previously that my definition of one more thing or last thing is is, is a little loosey-goosey. So there you go. <laughs> so, so, but Multiplex's helmet just looks so cool. Anyway, so um, – and I really like issue one and two because they're, they're each one is a standalone story. You get a complete story. You get a, There's a lot of character development here. That's one thing Jerry Conway is a real pro at. You get a lot of character development. You really get a sense for everything, and it's a uh, it's super fun. I mean, Firestorm is a fun character at this point in in his history. He really, really, really enjoys it. And unlike a lot of the other Bronze Age sort of characters, especially Marvel characters who were very, very angsty and always upset, um, he's having a blast. He's having so much fun. He'd be much rather be out flying around his Firestorm than anything else. And so you really get a sense for that fun. I mean, he's he's hitting on girls, creating fake flowers for them. <laughs> Just which makes them freak out and pass out, whatever. But you know he's having a great time, and it really helped Firestorm be a fun comic. Now there are there is lots of angst with Ronnie and the Professor, but it's balanced with Firestorm having fun. Uh, did you get that sense of fun, or is it just me? No, absolutely. It said it really. It does read very much like a like an early '60s Marvel comic, and. You know, one of the things I'm, I don't mean to get a little ahead, but like in the third issue, he introduces Killer Frost, and then uh, what in like an issue five, it's the hyena or whatever the other issue, issue four, yeah, issue four. I mean, that's a very early Spider-Man where every single issue he's introducing a new villain. That's mm-hmm. that, and that has a kind of fun. You're like, wow, this month it's this guy because in the early Spider-Mans, you know, like Stan Lee was like the Vulture, Doctor Octopus, Green Goblin. You know, like it was boom, 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 boom. He was just setting up this rogues gallery. 
So it, yeah, the, the book definitely has that that sort of joie de vivre, which which is something I liked about the Golden Age Aquaman too. You know, like mm-hmm. he's had that kind of sense of yeah, it's fun being a superhero kind of thing. Yep, villain of the month, having fun doing it. It all works great. Yeah. So issue number three, as you mentioned, is the Killer Frost issue. Um, great title that, of that story: Kiss Not the Lips of Killer Frost. That's very <laughs> Stanley too. Well, I love how like. And her name is uh, what, Crystal Frost. You know, I mean, it's just, and she's, it, you know, they call her the Ice Princess. Born to stuff. be a supervillain, right? I mean, she she was she never had a chance. You know, yeah. she was a frigid. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying not to curse. She was a frigid woman, also. So it just uh, the whole thing well, was just. Is she the most frigid? Is it because she she has the thing for Martin Stein? Well, she's frigid to everybody else, right? But that's not frigid though. Right. Okay. Like she, she, she just is got eyes for Martin Stein because she's kind of a nerd girl herself. But I think she's like genuinely mean to everybody. Well, I don't think anybody true. likes that's her. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but I guess I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm just thinking of like to, to me like the term frigid means like you're just not interested in romance. That's true. Period. But she is. She she's warm for Martin Stein's form. He yes. just, he's the one who's kind of like oh no science you know so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's that whole you know, romance comic. You don't love me. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, she's a tragic character in that she has been pining away from Martin. She has been imagining this romance between them for for years that just didn't exist. That she thought was there. You know, subtext between them as her as his. Uh, she was his college instructor, and now they're here working as peers as scientists. And she thinks that you know, bam, romance time because they're peers, and it doesn't work out. She gets very upset. And she ends up walking into this uh, hypothermic <laughs> freezing chamber, which transforms – it gets too cold and transforms her into Killer Frost. Which Alan Moore totally stole for Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> – yeah, you're exactly right. You can see it, the parallels. Um, I, I, I've always liked how she goes in, gets transformed. It comes out with a beautiful, like, ballroom dress. Yes. Which, by the way – I'm sorry. She's sexy. Killer Frost is sexy. It's just that simple. And I don't know what it is about that dress. It never it just it works. So I I might have to kiss the lips of Killer Frost if I was confronting with it. Oh him, my. So. <laughs> anyway, so um the interesting thing about this story is that they're up, well one of the interesting things, they're up in the Arctic and Ronnie's back, you know, in New York. Uh in fact playing basketball. So when the professor tr- you know unknowingly triggers the firestorm connection, Ronnie's transported all the way from New York, all the way up to the Arctic Circle. There's no idea what's going on. And when he appears, he's making out with Killer Frost. <laughs> he's like, well, this isn't so bad. <laughs> I guess Professor needed some help with this, you know. Um, we actually see, for what I believe to be the only time, when Firestorm freezes, his hair goes out. Yeah, and like you, that. <laughs> and you can see his, his flaming hair goes out, and you can see his regular hair underneath it. I think this is the only time in all of Firestorm's history that when his hair went out, that normally if his hair goes out, you just see smoke or smoldering or something. You can actually see regular human hair underneath. <laughs> so they, they have an interesting battle. And the interesting twist on this one is that the way to beat Killer Frost is not with heat, but with even more cold. Because she's so cold, she has to absorb heat to survive, so they make her even more cold so she freezes solid and it, it's a tragic story because she, you know it's she because she, it was an accident she you know she's a spurned her spurned love you know all these things is it makes her a very tragic character so you know that's kind of that becomes a hallmark of a lot of firestorm villains as as was the same with spider-man villains like you'll find out hyena not in these stories but you eventually find out hyena is a tragic character 
Uh, Multiplex isn't so much tragic. He's more of a prick. But anyway, Typhoon is a tragic character. Um, it, it's um, and in these six issues, they really write out. I mean, as you said, villain of the week. But these fire, these villains become sort of the ones that define fire. Oh yeah, he's yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Conway was definitely creating you know the the universe of Firestorm in these first couple of issues. Well, it's just interesting that even you know thirty years later, those are still the ones that people associate. Even though he's had a bunch of other villains, those are still the ones people associate as the main Firestorm villains. Yeah. You know, Multiplex, Killer Frost, Typhoon, um, uh, Hyena. Now, there's been a couple others that have sort of made it into the Pantheon, like um, uh, uh, Plastique and uh, a couple others. But for the most part, those uh, are like... Slipknot. Oh, we're joking again? Okay, yeah, Slipknot, totally. Uh, <laughs> yes, love the Slipknot. Uh, how could I possibly... Well, I mean, I was talking about, like... The villains people associate Firestorm, but not with his ultimate arch nemesis. I see. Okay, that's that's where Slipknot comes in. Right. So uh, issue four is uh, issue four is kind of an interesting issue in that it's it's not a big. It's unlike the previous three. It's not a one and done. It's more of a sort of a what, how would I describe it? More a day in the life kind of issue. Mm-hmm. Really, it's a. Uh, it, it does start off with this fun thing where Firestorm is flying back from the Arctic Circle. And uh, he can't. If he separates, he's going to have Ronnie and the professor up at the Arctic Circle. And Ronnie's, you know, how's he going to explain Ronnie being in the Arctic Circle? So he has to fly them back to New York. And there's actually uh, one of our listeners pointed out to me recently. There's a little tiny cameo of Rudolph the reindeer, Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer in here too. But anyway, is there really? Yeah, on the third page. Wait, fourth page. One, two, three, four. Fourth page, top right-hand panel. Oh, yeah. You see a reindeer with a little... Oh, God. Isn't that awesome? I'm saving that for uh, Christmas. I'm going to put that on the on the Firestorm fan site. Well, you have to mention but, that this issue opens with Firestorm stopping some people from clubbing seals to death. Oh, because Aquaman Just, was falling down on the job. Well, yeah. I, where, where's a polar bear when you need it? You know, right. Toss the polar bear. <laughs> it's pretty brutal hooks they've got, too, yeah. on those seals. Well, like, seal, seal killers are like Nazis. You can just shorthand for evil people. You don't have to give them any characters. The minute you see somebody doing that, you're like, oh, that's evil. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, well, the, the basic the three threads going on in the story is a, a new villain appears named Hyena who's attacking criminals um, and even is more frustrated with police. You see Ronnie struggling to balance his secret identity and Firestorm, and the professor is trying to cope with his blackouts, um, <laughs> which is so horrible for the guy. Um, so, and by the end of the issue. Um, Firestorm is confronted by Hyena, and they uh, and that's it has, it has you have your first cliffhanger ending. Call me so the Fire- Hyena, hothead. Right. <laughs> Firestorm's about to do battle with Hyena. Then you go to issue number five, which has probably my favorite cover of the uh, of the run of the original series. It's got Firestorm and, and a multiplex on each side, and Ronnie and the Professor screaming heads floating above. Multiplex is back to steal my power, and he's tearing me in two! It kind of looks like they're, they're just pulling at Firestorm's ears, like the way they a are. mom does yeah. to a child. That's true. But <laughs> I just... Yeah, yeah. I love the green circles and the, and the balance of the... It's, it's just a well-constructed cover. So, and the colors are vibrant. Mm-hmm. Just tell me you love it and, and behave. So, all right. Um... So you get a great battle. Issue number five is, uh, is they're battling Hyena. He battles Hyena, then he battles Multiplex. And meanwhile, we're finding more, more and more about this, uh, this group called the Shine Mob Family. And that, that's a B-plot that becomes more – actually, well, 
since this is really technically the last issue of Firestorm, that plot disappears for several years. It comes back in the Fury of Firestorm series, but that plot gets picked up again. Um, if you consider the issue that got canceled, number six, it actually gets picked up in number six as well. And this is actually an, an extra long story, too. It is. This is when they were making an effort to do longer issues. This one's, what, 44 pages, I think, or something well, like yeah, that? Well, yeah, the comic itself is 44. The Firestorm yeah. story is 25 pages, but this was in an era when comic stories were like 16 pages. That was like the yeah. height of how much ads were <clears throat> jammed into a, into a book. Yeah. And uh, it's a good fight between Hyena, and you kind of get a sense that where Firestorm's sort of out of his element when he's fighting a very physical foe. Because, you know, he's able to blast stuff from a distance and all that, but when you get someone who's right in your face, you've got a problem. Right. And um, also, there's something here. I've never talked about this. I've never blogged about this. It's something that I've, I've noticed when I read it. I think, I think, and I've never even asked Jerry Conway, I think Jerry Conway was going to go a different route with Hyena than he ultimately did. Like, when this story ends, we still don't know who the Hyena is. If you're a clever reader, you can kind of guess. And then in the flashback up two years later, they reveal who the hyena is and, and that it's a sort of a werewolf transformation thing. Mm-hmm. But here, I think it was probably – I think it was supposed to be somebody in a costume hmm. because hyena actually says, uh, I built these toys for special occasions, diamond edge claws vibrating at ultrasonic frequency. <laughs> of course. Which, which implies a you know, constructed suit. Right, yeah. So I think that um, Conway was going to go with uh, that that was somebody inside the suit. And I'm not going to tell you guys who. It's a surprise. You'll have to read the trade. Who is a hyena? Um, but in, in, anyway, so it's a good solid issue. you got a lot of good fights. And, and you do learn more about this. There's a, there's a lot of questions about who these, this shoeshine mob is and why <laughs> principal. But the, name, the name just does not inspire a lot of terror. Well, it's it's they're actually the Shine family is what it is, I and know. the dad the dad is his nickname is Shine, and his kid is nickname is Spit, and uh, yeah. so it, uh, they're very uh, they're very you know ridiculous '30s pinstripe suit mafia kind of folks, yeah. or I guess if this was Marvel they'd call them the Magia. Yeah, <laughs> Stan was always afraid of a hit being put out on him, so he called him Magia. <laughs> That was so, so confusing to me as a child. Just like, <laughs> the Magia. What are they talking about? I know, I know. And then in here, um, this is when Professor Stein starts drinking heavily, which becomes a real issue later when he becomes an alcoholic. It's just it's all because of his blackouts. It's all Ronnie's fault. Thanks, Ronnie. Right. So anyway, you, you get a great battle with Multiplex in this one. And this is um, every time you see Multiplex, Multiplex always transforms, just splits into two guys, so he goes from one to two. Here. Multiplex absorbs so much energy, he splits into, like, thousands of beings. And the fun thing about Multiplex <laughs> is that as he absorbs energy, he only has so much mass. So when he splits, he becomes a little bit smaller. And he's little, little tiny multiplexes. And there's these little tiny ankle-high multiplexes, like, you know, <laughs> gnawing on his ankle. Ankle biters, literally. Collect them all. Right. <laughs> so they look like a bunch of action figures attacking Firestorm. It's really – and Firestorm's drunk in here, too, because the half that's Professor Stein is hammered. So Firestorm is struggling not to, uh, you know, belch or puke on anybody. (laughs) And the issue ends with Multiplex and Hyena agreeing to team up. They're going to team up and get Firestorm. And uh, and that is where it ended for for us readers, as us matchheads, until we were able to read this lost issue recently. Um, so Firestorm ended there, and it was you know a lot of questions yes, and like like a lot of comics ended abruptly with yeah no indication that they were canceled because they all had ads for the next issue. That's how Aquaman ended too. Aquaman Aquaman ended with an ad for the next issue being on sale uh, in a couple uh, yeah. of in a couple of weeks, and then of course it was not debate. 
Yep. So, uh, and then there was a, the lost issue that appeared in Comics Ca- Canceled Comics Cavalcade, and Xerox copies of that were floating around for years. I guess we and should a lot just of- mention what that is. He doesn't know what Comics Com- Ca- Canceled Comics Cavalcade is. Um, it was uh, basically when DC canceled all those books, they canceled with something like 30 titles. Um, it was a ton. Something like, something like 30 titles got canceled abruptly. Some books got canceled before they ever even got published. So, but DC had all this inventory lying around, and there's something about I don't totally understand the legalities of it, but it was like they for them to retain the copyright on that material, it had to be published. Right. Um, so they put out two different books under the under the goofy heading "Cancelled Comics Cavalcade," and each book was like 400 pages long, just consisting of black and white xeroxes of all the artwork finished artwork they had of all these titles. And um, Firestorm number six was one of those books. Now, strangely enough, there was no Aquaman number 64. That would have been the next issue. I guess they were far enough behind on Aquaman that they, they didn't have another one ready. But um, mm. And then DC put out those books, and like they distributed – obviously, they didn't put them for sale to the general right. public, but they somehow distributed them to enough people that it – Well, it was the people that worked on the books. That's all who got him? I thought they got, I thought more people got him than that, but okay, I guess I could be wrong about that. Well, my understanding was just to the folks who had actually worked on the Oh, titles. okay, all right. So, so it was, I mean, the, the print one was, the print one was like a hundred books. Right, a hundred copies, copies, right, something like that. So they did it just enough that it could sort of be officially counted or, or something like that. Um, but, uh, but that, that's what those, that's what those books were. That's what Canceled Comics Cavalcade is. They used to list those in the Overstreet Price Guide back when I was a kid and I used to read oh, that geez. book. And, oh man, that, that used to just drive me, I was like, oh, I'd love to get my hands on those. You know, now that I've seen them, I've had a chance to see what's in there. You know, it's not, it's, it, it's not as enticing as it sounds, but, uh. Well, still for a match head it was though, because yeah. we, we weren't able to read number six. Oh, we yeah, were all just going issue, crazy. Sure. Yeah. And then some Xerox copies of Cancel Comics Cavalcade made their way around. And then someone scanned them up, put them up on the web. Yeah. And so we got a chance to finally read it. I was like, oh, huzzah. So, but that issue is reprinted in the Firestorm trade paperback we were telling about earlier. Oh, is it? It's oh, a, I didn't know that. That's cool. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, in fact, if you buy the digital issue of number five i think number six is in it with it too oh, that's cool that's the nice. way that works that's cool that's so and it's in black and white too they didn't color it right right just which is pretty cool and it's scanned from al milgram's originals so it's much easier to read than the the photocopy that's been going around forever oh really oh that's good because yep. yeah, the one i'm looking at is kind of hard to read oh yeah so but it's it's a fun story and um it actually it's sort of it, it, well, it is out of continuity because two major things happen in here. They they have their final showdown with the Shoeshine family, and Typhoon. Shut up. And Shoeshine, I'm sorry. And Typhoon is created, and in both cases, um, that happens later. Two, Typhoon is created with a different origin in the flashbackups, and the Shoeshine family issue is dealt with uh, much better in uh, the Fury Firestorm series. So, well, it's a fun read, and you really should, if you've never read it and you're a Firestorm fan, you should absolutely seek out the trade to read it, um, because it, it's it got lots of, uh, you know, I'm not even, it's just fun. Go, you know what, go read it. That's your homework assignment. <laughs> either either download, I think it's uh, Firestorm number five digitally to get number six, or, um, or go ahead and uh, buy the trade, or read it online, whatever, but that's your homework assignment. Read it, give us a, a book report, and uh, we'll talk six about pages, it. Six pages, double space. Yep. Uh, Typhoon's always been one of my favorites. I love Typhoon as a villain. So he's, it's really great to see a different origin for him here. And uh, the covers – is the cover in here too? Oh, the cover's not in here. 
Al Milgram did a cover for this thing, which is gorgeous. In fact, I put it up on Firestorm Fan. He let me put a scan of it up there. And I was feeling fruity, so I colored it myself. And uh, it's just, I love that cover. It's good stuff. So, and, and the next issue box promised The Reptile Man. Yeah, that's, I'm really sorry they never got around to doing that. That sounds fun. Well, for Jerry Conway's sake, I'm glad they didn't. Because uh, if you listen to the interview in the last time, you'll know that what he was planning was he reused the character he was planning for Firestorm in Batman, and it became Killer Croc. So I, I don't think Killer Croc would have made him as much money being a Firestorm villain as it did as Batman. That's a good point. That is a good point. I just want to see a villain called the Reptile Man. That just <laughs> The Erectile Dysfunction Man? Yeah. What? Anyway, so that is Firestorm's history, uh, the, the early days of Firestorm. Fun stuff. All the adventures, very clean, very family-friendly, very fun stuff. In fact, I've let my, my 12-year-old read some of them. He thinks they're fun. It's, it's good times, you know? Good, solid Bronze Age comics. Couldn't ask for anything more. With that, uh, Mr. Rob, I think we're going to go to break. Is that right? Yeah, we're going to wrap that. That wraps up the first segment. And uh, you're going to uh, enjoy some public service announcements when we come <laughs> back. Uh, when we come back, we're going to do listener feedback. Woohoo! All right. See you in a minute, guys. Come on, kids. If you want to grow up fast, take one of these. <laughs> one puff and they'll soon be in my grasp. Not so fast, Nicotine. If you want to go up fast, take one of these. With my X-ray vision, I can see the harm cigarettes do inside people's bodies. That's why I never say yes to a cigarette. A ticking bomb means trouble for Batman and Robin. Holy breaking and entering! It's Batgirl! Quick, Batgirl. Untie us before it's too late. It's already too late. I've worked for you a long time, and I'm paid less than Robin. Same job, same employer means equal pay for men and women. No time for jokes, Batgirl. It's no joke. It's the federal equal pay law. Holy act of Congress! If you're not getting equal pay, contact the Wage and Hour Division, U.S. Department of Labor. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listener's Feedback! Well, folks, we have got uh, a good... As always, you guys are amazing with the amount of feedback you guys give us. Um, you, you, met, you know, I was thinking today, like, I was like, okay, well, we've talked about this is the steam with fire and water, and I started thinking, what can we call the fans, you know, because I... Firestorm fans or Matchheads and Aquaman fans or Waterlogs. No, they're not. <laughs> what would fans of the show be? And I'm like, they'd be steampunks. I'm like, oh, no, that would not go well. So um, we'll have to think about that. All right. Anyway, we got lots of feedback. We're going to go through this. I think today we're probably going to focus a little more on the letters. we got some great letters that I'm, I'm, I'm itching to read. And uh, so we're, we're definitely going to mention everybody. Don't worry about that. I'll just jump right in. We got some great feedback, as always, from our good fronty, good, good fronty, good fronty. Our, finny, fr- our finny friend, our finny friend, Diablo Frank, who, by the way, wants a nickname. He wants me to call him the dubious Frank. I'm not sure. I think he's got to earn that. <laughs> anyway, uh, he, he casted his vote for once, uh, as he put it, because I had talked about the Spectre in one of the previous episodes. He goes, I guess the Spectre and Water podcast is one way to go after Firestorm gets canceled. Any day now. It, yeah, excuse me, he wrote any minute now. Oh, God, he wrote any minute. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> that was pretty brutal, Frank. 
Uh, I, that hurt, man. That hurt, brother. Um, Besides, if we, as, if we change the show to, to – we wouldn't change it to the Spectrum Water Podcast. I think we'd call it the Ectoplasm and Water Podcast. Right, because then we could cover Gentleman Ghost, too. Yeah. <laughs> Which has been our goal all along. Right. Sorry, Luke. It's ours. Um, as a, uh, Our good friend Russell left us a comment, too. Thank you for that, Russell. He said uh, he, that we make him laugh, so I laugh at Rob often. So I'm right with there with you, Russell. Um, got a nice, got some feedback from Daniel Cynical Adams. He listened to the uh, the Jerry Conway interview. He had uh, he got a bone to pick there <laughs> about Jerry's Jerry's opinion of the Punisher. We should say, and uh, completely fair. Uh, if you go on over to Aquaman Shrine, you can check that out. He's got lots of numbers and things like that, which is great. <laughs> a a uh, spirited defense of the Punisher movie. <laughs> Yes, it was. It was very. So, and by the way, Daniel Cynical Adams is our superhero who has written our closing theme for the Firewater podcast. Uh, I'm sorry, his band, I should say, the Bad Mamma Jammas. And they also uh, have done our theme for the Who's Who podcast. So, awesome. He he is a man. Him and the the, the band are are masters of coming up with these wonderful ditties for the shows. And we we thank him again very much for them. They are tremendous, those themes. You guys are awesome sauce. So, uh, quick comment from Luke I wanted to read here. It says, Shag, uh, this is on Firestorm Fan. Shag, your enthusiasm for Fury Firestorm is slowly becoming infectious. I'm going to pick up a few issues this week when I run over to the comic shop and give the book another try. The, plo- the proliferation of Firestorm is an interesting premise and one which you know, uh, will, which we know will eventually lead to an explosive confrontation of many megatons or megadeaths. And I'm already reading and enjoying Aquaman, so no persuasion needed on that front. The new storyline sounds nine ways of insane, like the best of John's stories usually are. I'm loving all the listener feedback you guys get. See, we told you it is a fan-favorite segment of the show. We weren't lying. (laughs) Clearly, there's a lot of love out there for both Aquaman and Firestorm. As I said earlier, the enthusiasm is infectious. And then he goes on to – he discusses – how DC he's really energized about DC Comics again, and I think that's great. And I totally agree. I'm energized about DC Comics as well. And that uh, – oh, I didn't say his name right. That was from Luke Jacketetti. Going to go through our Twitter uh, supporters real quick here. Um, the first two got to mention, wow. <laughs> wow. After we did our review of the issue eight um, – Ethan Van Skyver, the gentleman behind the, the, the driving force behind Firestorm up to this point, uh, who just joined Twitter, by the way, he wrote, Shag, you are so polite and professional on your podcast. You do great work. That blew me away. It was an incredible compliment. Clearly, he doesn't know me well enough. Uh, I'm insecure enough to point out that he mentioned that you are polite and professional on your podcast. <laughs> well. I mean, you know, you don't like Firestorm, so there you have it. Uh, and Joe Harris came back, the writer, the current writer of Firestorm, and said, agreed, thanks for the support, man. So I am, let me tell you, folks, I am over the moon. I thought that was incredibly kind of them. Thank you, guys. And they rubbed rub salt in the wound by addressing it to the Aquaman Shrine as well. I think it was just a, like a Twitter reply where everyone involved in the thread shows up. So just <laughs> quit your whining, okay? You're, you're, the guys who work on the Aquaman book are like, I don't know, calling you at home and you know, like hanging out with you, sending art via friends. You know what? You're fine, okay? Just shut up. I don't get to communicate with the people that work on Firestorm very often, so this this is my moment, okay? Can you just be happy? I'm, for I'm me? trying to. Dr- Can you just be? Why do you have to ruin all the good things I have? I, I'm trying to draw you out so you're not polite anymore. Fine. All right, real quick, running through other folks that help support us on Twitter. Thank you. Ronnie Ling at Captain Ahab 1313. Paul Bowler, Professor Allen, 
Hector Negrete at Bauhaus 45. Rhett Kahn at Claymation Howl. <laughs> Love that. Lee Novak at New- Lee Novak 16. Randy Caldwell, Mr. Perturbed. Corey Hodgden at High Rock. Higher Rock. I never know how to say that. Higher Rock. Higher Rock. Raul Cotto, who used to be Raul Cotto, verified, right. but now he's, <laughs> now he's just Raul Cotto. And he goes by Mass Fuego. Uh, Luke Dab uh, from Dab Creative, our friend who's uh, wrote the song in the middle of one of our previous shows. La Sueve del Nerd, which is great. <laughs> Glenn Walker, who goes by Mansura. I don't, El Perrin, I'm not sure. I guess that's how you say that. Yeah, I would say and, um, yeah. Who goes by El Perrin. And Joey Garza, who goes by G. Garsden 3. So. And we've also got some friends over there on Facebook who's been supporting us. We really appreciate that, folks. Uh, Keith G. Baker, Kevin Culp, Andy Campbell, Rob Pozzi, Carlos Mucha, uh, Corey Hodgden again, Tristan Hendricks, Wagner Oliveira, Oliveira, I think that's how you say it. Mm-hmm. He's, he's been all over Facebook supporting Firestorm Fan. I can't thank him enough. He's been great. Um, Giancarlos Nurko and Manjit Dangel. Over on Google+, Plus, none of you people. <laughs> what the hell happened? You're really up. undercutting your I, whole defense of Google+, Plus as a thriving social media uh, platform. Rob told me that Google+, Plus is, is, is like a, you know, a whatever you call it, tumbleweed land. Now, I will say other Firestorm fan posts have gotten support. Don't get me wrong. There, you guys have been, those of you who have been supporting other Firestorm fan posts on Google+, Plus. I appreciate that, but I really need you to say something about the podcast just so we can rub it in Rob's face. Google+, okay? Google Plus, the slipknot of social media platforms. All right, come on, G+, back me up. All right, we've got some mentions on some other blogs. Uh, DC Bloodlines, uh, as always, uh, has been kind enough to mention us in his direct currents. Thank you for that. Uh, dubious Frank. Under the emails, we got a great email. We're not going to read this time, um, but we want to acknowledge Hector. Hector Negrete, we got your email. Negrete. It's Tay. I listened to the It's Tay. Uh, anyway. Negrete. Hector. Hector Negrete. Okay. He- I'm sorry, man. I'm, I am broken inside. That's all there is. Just know that. Anyway, uh, Hector sent us this great email about superpower, the Superpowers line in Mexico. We got it. We're going to hold that for our next episode of Superpowers. Yeah, when we do part two. Yeah, we're going to hold it off for that. Yeah, this is great relevant data we want to use in the show, so thank you. Uh, got a nice letter from Corey Damon who wrote, Wow, sorry it took me so long to get on board with the podcast, but ten minutes in and I'm hooked. He quotes something Rob said here. Firestorm, if you could kill someone on the way out, that would really help me out. <laughs> now, that's from The Simpsons. I can't take I can't take Uh-oh. credit for that. I mean, I added the Firestorm, obviously, but that's okay. a line from The Simpsons. So I, I take and he actually spells credit. out, blah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Call me a dullard, but I likes me comic books. Explain to myself. I'm also easily distracted by shiny things and funny quotes, references that I understand. I, I was hard growing up with the, it was hard growing up with a hero in a, this hurts me. Quote, in a faggy costume. Oh, mm. I'm talking about Firestorm. But all those years of persecution were worth it just to know that there are others who know and celebrate Firestorm in all his various incarnations, as much as I'm really trying to, hard to do. Come on, Joe Harris. Just uh, thanks for the podcast and to Shag for the fan site. Also loving the new Aquaman series. He's, he's a new fan of Aquaman. Corey Damon, Firestorm fan since 1983. Uh, we got an email from Keith Samra. Uh, he ends, opens with what's up, Steam Boys. <laughs> hey, New, Z- New Zealand represent here, folks. There you go. Um, just dropping a line to Aqua Maestro Rob with two Bs. 
about our favorite underwater hero, and he asks <laughs> uh, he asks some questions, which we're not going to get into the answers uh, right with right now, but maybe something we'll we'll discuss later on. He says, as an artist, are there certain design elements or redesigns that you have totally loved and hated about Aquaman? Yeah, I have little things here and there. I mean, for the I loved his um. The uh, mid-80s redesigned the blue camo suit. I love that thing. I, mean, I thought that was a great suit. Um, the current costume I thought was great. I'm not as huge a fan of, like, the big flounced gloves and stuff. And, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that Aquaman wears gloves, but that's just part of the, you know, part of the tradition at this point. Um, he has asked about favorite art teams. He asks, who would Shag and I cast in a live-action Aquaman movie? Um, and then he says, in the Prugram Morrison JLA run... Was there a miniseries? There was a miniseries named Midsummer Nightmare. I believe it is hinted that Aquaman could have short range or low level telepathic powers over humans. Was this explored any further down the track in the Aquaman books? Yes. I mean, actually, Grant Morrison was not the first guy to bring that up. Jerry Conway um, actually got on that in uh, Justice League during the Detroit era. So that's something. Did it, did it a vibe? Yeah. Uh, Steel. Was it, oh, is it Steel? Steel. Okay. He, may, he basically controls Steel's mind and gets him to calm the hell down, which Martian Manhunter does not take too well to. Um, and then uh, Keith mentions again how much he loved the Superpowers episode. I am missing Aquaman and Brainiac from the first wave, 15 in total from the entire set. Really hard to find them here in New Zealand, but I've been lucky to so far to come across so many, so fingers crossed. Keep up the great work. Love the fan site and the shrine. Always anxiously awaiting the next episode. Keith, Sam, Frodo's Middle Earth comic haven. <laughs> We got another great email from Keith as well. Yeah, he wasn't uh, done there. <laughs> this one's about Firestorm. What's up again, guys? I thought I'd give equal love to the Fire and Water duo with some curious thoughts on Firestorm. Shag, I gotta say, I'm loving the new Firestorm book. Things are really, quote, heating up. Professor Stein, baby. Holy crap! That was a cool moment. Never thought he would make an appearance and never thought I would get so excited to see him. Guess I'm becoming a real matchhead, huh? Yes, you are, Keith. Welcome. Anyway, uh, anyway, I have a couple of quick questions for the irredeemable one. With the success of shows like Young Justice uh, and Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, as well as the likes of Ultimate Spider-Man, do you think that Firestorm would make a good animated series? reason I ask is the awesome art by Yildare Sinar in the first five issues of this book gave it a very animated look before he had uh, Norm Rapoon inks over his pencils. I feel Yildare's style could be translated over to animation quite nicely. What are your thoughts? Also, I might add that the current direction of the storyline might be a tad too dark for Saturday morning animated show. So I was thinking more along the lines of Ronnie and Jason sharing the Firestorm power of Professor Stein as a mentor, kind of an old-school Firestorm. And Blue Devil could make an appearance with Dr. Fate and Slipknot. Uh, going back to the comics here with Ronnie missing a hand, could he this was, be a time? He was, he was really trying to butter you up there. He was, Well, he knew he'd get right on the show. That's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> going back to the comics here, with Ronnie missing a hand, could this be a time where Firestorm learns to use his powers on organic materials? And could Ronnie transmute himself a new hand? Totally jazzed about the Firestorm series, loving each issue, and loving each episode of the podcast, guys. Always looking forward to the next episode. Stay cool, ride the flame, and fan the wave. Yes, I know I always write that backwards. I'm in New Zealand. Cut me some slack. Take care. Keith, Kalel, Samra. Um... Real quick answers. Firestorm animated show, I think, would be a lot of fun. I would probably lean more towards the classic version, but I like your idea of bringing Jason into it. So having Ronnie and Jason as Firestorms with the professor being a guide would be a great idea. Because I don't, I think you're right. I don't think they could do the uh, darker storyline they're doing right now. Oh no! I, but I think yeah. Firestorm would make a great animated series. Yeah, but having Jason and Ronnie both as either a merge Firestorm or together as two separate Firestorms, I think that'd be great. Um, it'd be like totally uh, – <laughs> you, could, you could get a little crazy with it and have you – know, I, I could picture it going wrong like a 90s cartoon, but I would hope it would be more like uh, Justice and stuff. Ronnie missing his hand, I don't know. that It's possible. Um, 
That's a good question. He's definitely getting it back because he's got it on, the, on future covers. So I'm not sure what's going on with that. So um, we got to move on in time due to time here. We've got two more emails left. Jack ba- Dower, uh, his subject line is, God help me, I'm becoming a full-fledged waterlog. See? There's the validation. I right know. There. Robin Shag, you guys are my second favorite podcast. Right, uh, after, right after Raging Bullets. What the? You're going to start with that, man? I am, really? Really? Come on. Uh, I've been an off again and on again, mostly off again, Aquaman fan, until Rob, Jeff Johns, and Brave and the Bold show me how outrageous the Sea King really is. Yeah, in that and, order. <laughs> I am now fully waterlogged, and I want a pet octopus. Shag, your passion for Firestorm convinced me to try him out. Thank you. I'm really liking it. What's your favorite non-political Firestorm run? I'm really interested in reading more. Since I'm now a waterlogged for life, if I really like start, if I really start liking Firestorm and become a matchhead, would I put myself out or become steam or something? Uh, until Slipknot runs for president, make mine the Fire and Water podcast. Uh, signed, Jack. P.S. I love the Superpowers Penguin figure. I love that, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sickness, Jack, right there. But um, People really feel the need to defend the Superpowers Penguin figure. <laughs> we did bash on it, though. So. But you're right. Uh, anyway, uh, quick thing, because we don't have a lot of time, but I will say, go find Fury of Firestorm, number 14 through 18, and pick up annual number one. It's a great... Uh, story. It would make an awesome trade. It is. It involves the creation of Firehawk. You, you get to see Multiplex again. You get to see a new villain called Enforcer. There's the Shoeshine family. As much as it's a joke, and the stories we were talking about before gets handled quite well here. And um, it's a, it's a great story. So issue 14 through 18, annual number one. Pick it up. You won't be disappointed. Um, and then we got one last uh, email from Lil Fomer. <laughs> Jeremiah Germ Parker. Uh, meanwhile, back at the Aqua Cave. Hey, Shag and Rob. Little former Jeremiah. Blah, 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 I already said that. Uh, I read your blog too, Shag, but you don't have any cool membership cards, so Rob wins another one. <laughs> uh, just wanted to Rob, let... Rob with two Bs. Yeah, well, at least Shag is polite. I just wanted <laughs> to let you guys know what an awesome job you're doing and that I'm eagerly waiting the next episode. I've been a huge Aquaman fan my whole 22 years of life. Even though I have only just started collecting comics, I've always had a love for the character. I always get excited when I find a comic I don't have. I have a long way to go. I also wanted to thank you, Shag, for introducing me to Firestorm. Woo-hoo! I have known about the character but never really got into him. The New 52 is my first Firestorm comic, and I have to say I am enjoying it. It is a little confusing, but I am enjoying the ride. I would, there you go. I think I would like the pre-New 52 Firestorm a little better, but I'm interested in seeing where they go with it. As for Aquaman, I pretty much have to stop myself from drooling all over it. It's just such a pretty book. Uh, I've been drooling myself over the guys themselves. When I go to cons, I actually drooled on Joe Prado once. It's not, not pretty. Um, I do have That's a, just dirty. <laughs> I do have a question for Shag, though. We have heard Rob... Talk about his favorite Aquaman moments, or most recently the shot of Aquaman pulling the ship to the safety in the storm. I was wondering, are there some? what are some of your favorite moments of Firestorm and why? Until next time, fan the flame, ride the wave, and tie the slipknot. Jeremiah Jerem Parker. <laughs> these, these folks really know what to put in their emails to get read. Really, seriously. <laughs> clever, clever folks. Um, man, you know, my, I don't – I have to think about that. An absolute favorite Firestorm moment is tough. Uh, I'll tell you – some of my favorite artists, I think, that have created the most iconic moments probably are Pat Broderick. Um, it, it's not a slight against Al Milgram or anyone else, but Pat Broderick sort of defined the Firestorm look in the 80s that made him so popular. Uh, Raphael Kayanen, and then probably um, Tom Mandrake for the Elemental area, era of Firestorm. Those are, that's, when I default, those are who I go to. That's not saying that anyone else isn't 
any good because I, I don't like to make a top ten list because that puts somebody at the bottom, and I don't think there are any artists of Firestorm at the bottom. They're all great. So, But if you're looking for iconic Firestorm moments, it's probably going to come from one of those three artists. All right. Um, and uh, iTunes, we did not get any new review on iTunes, so uh, that uh, Shag and I are going to die broken men, but uh, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> now, we have 38 reviews on, on, on our iTunes page, which is great. That's like a lot of reviews. So That's a great start. Yes. That's a great start. So throw the iTunes reviews, folks. That way we can get more match heads and water logs, finding the podcast and listening as well. So um, that is going to wrap it up for this time. This has been the Fire and Water podcast. Um, Next time we're going to cover the I think next time, yeah, yeah, issue nines will be next. Yep. So – if you can find us on the web, you can find me at firestormfan.com. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook as well under the same names and Google+. And, God, people, G-plusers, stick it to Rob. In fact, go to hit. You know what, everyone? Go to the Aquaman Shrine on G+, and please make a comment. The comment from November 2011 that says, hey, we're on Google+, and it's the only thing out there. Feel free to say hello on the Aquaman Shrine, please. Anyway, um, <laughs> Rob, where can they find your little site that apparently doesn't care about G+. Hey, we just opened a page on Friendster. What do you want? Um, <laughs> you can... Friendster? <laughs> it's never uh, – okay. Anyway, um, you can find Aquaman Shrine, of course, at AquamanShrine.com on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, and I also just wanted to mention this uh, one other thing. Um, since we recorded the last sort of proper episode – uh, the Ace Kilroy, which is my daily comic strip, our Kickstarter uh, campaign has ended, and we ended with uh, well, our, our goal was to was to raise two thousand dollars, and we raised over four thousand dollars. Wow! So we finished at two hundred percent funded. Um, that is thanks to the contribution of a good number of very generous phone members, which Shag is one. Um, so I have to thank everybody for that and everybody who spread the word and just helped got the word out, you know, got the got the message out about Ace Kilroy. And now we are, you know, we, we did really well and we're very, very happy about this. So thanks, everybody. Thanks to everybody who who pledged and to and for everybody to, who, who spread the word and including Shag, who did a tremendous job of, of of helping me with that. So I appreciate it. That's, I'm just glad to help. It's a great strip and I want to see you succeed. I want to see you succeed, old buddy. Thank you very much. So. Anyway, that's uh, that'll that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, like I said we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the number nines. Until then, I guess we have to uh, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye, y'all. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair stand for truth and justice and see on land and air firestorm and aquaman they make a super pair aquaman and firestorm super friends forever yeah don't smoke it doesn't make you grown up it makes you a loser